Welcome, welcome, welcome to F1 with DRS. This is a bonus episode on the Armchair Expert feed uh, because we got an interview with an incredible team principal, this maybe second most winningest team principal in Formula One, Christian Horner. And I wanted to share it on all the feeds. If you like it and you want to hear more F1 with DRS content, please go and follow that. Just search F1, E-F-F-W-O-N in any app you use and uh, subscribe and we'd love to have you along. And if you're hearing this and you're on Spotify, if you look down at your phone, you can see this. There is video for this interview and for this intro. Please enjoy. how it is on the race weekend first of all everyone's busy yeah understandably and everyone's got something to do exactly. it's not like you're trying to stop and chat with a stranger for yeah. 25 minutes yeah, yeah. it's just not a ideal yeah yeah so this is fantastic i'm so grateful that you came so we were just talking about disneyland which is important so did you have a favorite ride i enjoyed the we, we went on the race you know that the, is in oh, cars yes 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 oh my god cars is incredible isn't yeah it? the exactly. world the world and everything and then uh suddenly you end up in a race, and my my kids got super excited about that. So yes, uh, my yes. Job, I got I got excited about it. Did you win or lose? Unfortunately, we finished second. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's, well, there's only two cars, <laughs> so it's a euphemism to yeah, say exactly. Second. Yeah, I would say that one's top. Well, ride the Star for me. Wars stuff was cool. That that's was pretty incredible cool. when you walk in and yeah. they have the actual. Yeah, like, you feel like you're on the deck. Exactly. Of- yeah. Exactly. You know, it's old fashioned, but I really love it is um, Indiana Jones. Did you do that yeah, one? Yeah, we did that. That was cool. Yeah, and Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean, they loved. You got to do that. Jethro, who lives in England, he does, he's never been on Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh-huh. I mean, you don't understand. This is the most important you ride. You lived unless you've been you on haven't. Pirates. If I were a billionaire. Uh-huh. I'd that build m- one. You would too? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. This is great. Because uh, I tell people that and they think I'm nuts. But I think Michael Jackson built one. Did you? Have you ever heard this oh, rumor? Oh, really? No, I didn't hear that. I've heard at Neverland, that ranch, uh-huh. uh, he had Pirates of the Caribbean. But the person I was talking to didn't realize that the movie series had been based on the ride. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I went to Florida in 1983. Okay. I went on Pirates of the Caribbean there in Disney World. Yeah, yeah. And so you were what, about, not 10, 9, I was 10? about 10, yeah. Uh-huh. And so uh, same age as my daughter now. Oh, yeah, And yeah. so I was trying to explain that look, this was all pre- the film, this was pre the movie. Right. And, and then, there wasn't anything cool. So to see just like the people, the women yeah. chasing the pirates with the broom in a circle was exactly. like a big technological breakthrough. <laughs> so yeah, how did your kids take it? Because there's so many great offerings now. Like they leave the Star Wars thing. That's insane. It's like driving yeah. somehow, uh, AI's driving the fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, my, my six-year-old flew the Millennium Falcon. That was, his life is complete. Yeah, and then you got to put them in a little boat and float by by yeah. some some bounty, some treasure. Uh, when we came face to face with like a, a squad of stormtroopers, that was mm. he was like, "Daddy, can we can we go now?" Oh, good, he got scared. <laughs> he got probably scared when Kylo Ren came in as well. It was like, "Oh my god, now <laughs> we're in trouble." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's six. He's six. He has a January birthday. He's a January birthday. What what day? Twenty first. Damn it! I thought we'd be soulmates. If when when are you? I'm the second. Ah, Target's okay. the worst birthday in the world because wow. it's the day after New Year's. Everyone's made resolutions. No one wants to drink yeah. at your party or eat, <laughs> you know? And do they always combine this as Christmas and uh, birthday presents? Exactly. Present. Yeah. It's a fucking racket. Yeah. Your aunts and uncles tell you like, oh, we got you something even bigger. But yeah. it's the same thing your brother I'm, got. I'm in November. You see, I'm mid-November, so I get it the other side. Yes. Although this shady. year, 
It's in Vegas for the race. You'll be there on your birthday. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be 50 in Vegas. Oh, my God. Are you planning something spectacular? Or well, is your actually, wife planning? The, uh, the race has been put on in honor of my birthday. Oh, my God. That makes so much <laughs> sense. I think a lot of people are scratching their head of how this came together. And yeah, now this to makes, celebrate my 50th. <laughs> that makes so much sense. So you're from, the town you're from, I've never heard of, I'm embarrassed to say. Uh-huh. Which, one, a, which one did you look at? Leamington Spa? Exactly. Or? Leamington Spa. Yeah. How, how far out of London is that? That's about an hour and a half north. So it's about a cent Central UK as you can get. Think Shakespeare. That's the next town. Mm. Stratford. Okay. So you and I share this in common, which is I grew up in Detroit. My yep. whole family's automotive industry. Yeah. My mother worked at General Motors at the Proving Grounds. Okay. Dad sold cars. Yeah. And your granddad worked at Standard? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he was in the motor industry. He started as a as an apprentice. No shit. In what year? Like so, 50s or? No, my granddad was, that would have been pre-war. Uh, then my father he did his apprenticeship at Standard, and he was in the automotive industry, but as a as like an agent working between suppliers and and the industry. And we used to go to Detroit because he had a couple of clients out there. Oh no, kidding! So we ended up going there to not as know, fun as your trip to Disneyland. Not not as imagine. fun, but we went up to the lakes and oh, a few times. I went to Mackinac Island. Mackinac Island. You rode a bicycle and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's a good kids. memory. So we used to end up going up. Going up there as kids. The two claims of fame for Mackinac Island is it had the world's largest porch in the world at, that, really. at the Mackinac Hotel. Uh-huh. And uh, and then, yeah, you can ride a bike around it. Yeah. yeah. And I remember driving. I hadn't got a license. In, in the UK, you can't get a license until you're 17. Mm-hmm. And I ended up driving a car in Detroit at 16 years of age. Oh, license. Oh, yeah. I was... What, do you remember what car it was? It was a Lincoln Town Car. Oh, baby. It was like a boat. In what year? About 1990, yeah. That's the apex year. Other than my 67 Lincoln Continental, you fast forward, that's the town car you uh, Okay, drive. yeah, yeah. 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 Was a, that was like a boat to be in, though. It was unbelievable. Yeah, five-liter V8, rear-wheel yeah. drive. Yeah. So what age did you start in karting? Well, I fell in love with speed because I, I grew up watching, you know, things like the full guy and the A-team. And Let's talk about the fall guy for one second. Yeah. When's the last time you've watched videos on YouTube of the fall guy? Oh, crikey. It must be years and years. I really encourage you to because yeah. as you probably saw when you walked in, I'm super into off-road racing. Yeah. And you know, the average suspension travel on like like that Raptor out there yeah, yeah. is like 18, 20 inches. Yeah. That fucking GMC, he was driving yeah. like three inches of travel, <laughs> and he launched that. he was that. flying. Oh, my God. He would yeah. jump like 12 feet in the air. Absolutely. You must go and watch it because what you <laughs> see is that when it lands, it just bounces for a long, long time. They must have gone through quite a few trucks. They, I, I don't think any of the trucks made it through <laughs> any of the jumps, much like the General Lee. Okay, so we were raised on the so same I, shit. So I grew up watching all that stuff, and I was just obsessed with speed, and I wanted to race, and Cannonball runs? And cannonball run. Oh, my God, yeah. The cannonball run, all that stuff. Oh, so um, So, yeah, I, I, I wanted to, I was always fascinated by speed. And it was actually my mum that we, we found this go-kart, this motorized go-kart in the back of the, uh, a newspaper. And for my 11th birthday, I twisted her arm, twisted her arm, and we bought this old thing out the back of the newspaper. And it was to drive originally around the garden, around the yard that we had. So she bought it for me, and it was it was super cheap, and it was really old. Um, but it was too low. It was an old racing go-kart. It was too low to go around the garden. Okay. And so my dad knew of a go-kart track that was, I don't know, about 10 miles from where we lived. And yeah. suddenly we took it up there, and suddenly I discovered this whole world that you could race these things. And Right. But know. let's also say at 11, you're already five years behind. 
Uh, at that stage, no. No. The, the, the earliest I... you could race was 12 at that point. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I guess now all of our now drivers, they... basically straight out of the womb. You're in a, you're able to, to drive a cart. But, yeah, I have a uh, 10-year-old daughter, and I told her, like, yeah. hey, you're kind of four yeah, years you're behind, behind the curve now. <laughs> yes, yeah, like, you're behind the curve. We got to go hard now if yeah. we're going to do this. <laughs> so I started racing when I was 12 years of age, and it was just all I wanted to do. I, I had an engine in my bedroom. You, know? you did? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Were they two-stroke 125s at that point? No, or they're smaller? Uh, they're, they're, no, they were two-stroke uh, 100cc. Okay, right, right, right. In shifter or? No, uh, centrifugal clutch and okay. just accelerator and brake. So, yeah. And it was fantastic. Yes. And did you immediately have an aptitude or did you feel like you had to catch up to the other? No, I, I I got into it pretty quickly and, and I just like, it was just suddenly my life was just obsessed with 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 karting and yeah. if I wasn't in a kart, I was drawing it or cleaning it or yeah, you know yeah. the school at that point. Became Were you small as secondary. a kid? Yeah, I was pretty small. So I imagine you looked small out yeah. there racing. And I read to your this parents. thing that the racing drivers were no no higher than five foot eight. Yes, right? and so I had a chart on the wall, and I was willing myself to be short. Oh no, you know, kidding! Because you know, my brother was quite tall, and I was thinking I I don't want to grow up like him. So I didn't want my feet to grow. I didn't, you know, I became. Obsessed about the age of 13 of not wanting to grow too quickly. <laughs> right, right. So, um, but it was a lot of fun. And as a family, you know, weekends were taken up. We'd go into a racetrack. We'd, we'd pack the car up, the cart in the back and so on. And, and my dad was a mechanic. He was. He was the mechanic initially until I was in the lead of a race. And he hadn't done the, the engine clamps up. Uh, uh properly okay uh and the engine fell off when i was oh, in the lead so not after, ideal. after that point i'd done well enough that a couple of teams said why doesn't he come and drive for us okay so that's when you get sponsored yeah as a driver this is 91 this is before 89 was the first year oh it is sponsored yeah yeah because i did have a question if dad was pushing you into it or supportive or tolerant like which of those three i would to... say between Tolerant and supportive. Okay. okay. So, because uh, it was like, where's this going? But at the same time, you know, as parents, they always they always encourage us, you know, look, you know, follow your dreams, go for what go for what you want. And 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 in racing, I had something that you know suddenly I had a connection with him that yeah. he was, you know, he was. He interested. must have loved it yeah. as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so I raced in 1989 in the Junior Karting World Championship, and I raced against Max Verstappen's mum. No. Yeah. No way. Absolutely. Yeah. She, she was, was a champion, right? She at was some top point? 10 in the world at that point. She Incredible. was Incredible. That's so cool. And then drivers like Jan Magnussen, Kevin Magnussen's father, and uh -huh. Fisick Keller, and Jano Trulli. And there were some some really competitive guys, Dario Franchitti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know, love well. that you were against Max's mom. Yeah. Did she beat you? Yes, Be she honest. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. How crazy that you're now working with her son. I mean, I must trip you I mean, out. When right? we met when we were 13, I don't think any of us could have, could have predicted that. No, completely unimaginable at that point. Yeah. Like, you know what? I bet in 30 years you'll have this boy. He'll be a phenom and I'm going to yeah. be his boss. <laughs> That's where all this is heading. <laughs> you have two brothers. I got two brothers. Uh, I got, I'm, I'm the middle of three. So my older born is a sensor one. He's a lawyer. Okay, he's smart. And so he's yeah, he 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 was the golden child at school, you know, did all the exams properly and everything. I was the one that was you know, school was like a social thing for me. Right. And then my younger brother was completely wild. 
that is the always the pattern with yeah. three boys now. Yeah. The baby I, brother is the scariest brother of all brothers. He is. He's just moved to LA, so be careful. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what does he do? He runs a, a, an events business. He's got a oh. big events thing, so they do a lot of... Actually, he's doing a lot of work with McLaren at the moment, which is kind of, He's doing all their Las Vegas entertainment and everything, so... Yeah, okay. I don't know about that, but... I we'll, know. We'll exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I told them. Yeah. The house divided. Yeah. There must be a point that your parents go... Okay, wow, he's gonna go all in on this, mm -hmm. and that's obviously gonna make it impossible for him to go to uni or start mm -hmm. a normal career. Yeah, are they nervous at that juncture? Like, I guess you you join the Formula Three first. Yeah. Oh, I went Formula Renault. I want a, sco oh, a Renault, scholarship. Yeah. I want a scholarship where Renault said we'll take the top three British karting guys and we'll give them a scholarship to move from karting into car racing. And that was when I was eighteen years of age. So. My mom and dad, they, they wanted me to go to university, so they insisted that I get a place at university. So I just filled out the form for some completely random university somewhere in Wales that I've never heard of, with no intention okay. of ever Just of ever room going. and board. Yeah, it was just ticking the box. Uh -huh. And then off, I left school at 18, and all I wanted to be was a race car driver. And, um, and I guess they're out of the picture at that point, but were they scared for you? They were, uh, yeah, they were. They, they, they had their concerns. Yeah. Um, I mean, forget the actual physical threat. Yeah. Just the lifetime career yeah. anxiety. Well, they, they did a deal with me. They said, look, take a, take a year out because you could do that between school and university. So I said, take a year out and see where this goes. Mm -hmm. But you've got a place at university that you can go back to. That was... That was the deal. They just I wanted a safety net. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I still haven't gone yet. Well, life's long. Yeah. It's short and long. Yeah. You know, we don't know. Toto's sending lots of people to Harvard, it seems like. Somehow, I think if you want to yeah. exploit that, however tenuous that relationship is, maybe he could get you enrolled there. You never know. Well, the funny thing is, uh, both my brothers went through universities and got degrees and so on. And then I get given an honorary doctorate from Cranfield <laughs> University right. in the UK, which they say, you never did a day. You know, we worked our asses off yeah, in yeah, university yeah. and suddenly you've got a doctorate. Yeah. I'm one of the few actors without an honorary doctorate degree. <laughs> and I've even given a commencement speech, so I don't know ah, why I didn't. Go. I must have shit the bed on it and then they didn't give it to me or something. <laughs> um, but I guess if we fast forward, you, you do climb the ladder of yep. racing. You do well your yep. first season with Renault. You, yeah, you, you win a race. Yeah, You're the exactly. number one rookie. I beat a guy, Pedro de la Rosa, that uh, ended up in Formula One. I won my first race and, and suddenly that you start to get a bit of hype around you. Like this is the new kid and he's yeah. you know, he's looking promising. So I got picked up by uh by Lotus at the time in, in the Formula One team and and my mum and dad were away somewhere. They put a contract in me for it was like a five year contract to basically sign my life away. And they right. they said, If you don't sign this now, um, we're gonna give it to the next guy and but this gave me a stepping stone into Formula Three. So I I signed this contract uh -oh. and signed up for them to drive in Formula Three. And, and Lotus were they were they were on the up. They had Johnny Herbert and Alex Zanardi as their as their race drivers. You're going to be disappointed with my knowledge on this. Just I want to be upfront about okay. it. I'm one of the posers who fell in love with the sport with Drive okay. to Survive. So you're I'm slowly you're learning. Yeah, of course I knew Senna. I knew Schumacher. I know yeah. like you okay. Know. So I'm throwing names at you that you have no idea who they are. Right, but I did know some of the Cardi ones. So I okay. am gathering it, but I just want to be very. Well, Zanardi came over. He was pretty successful. He won the the Champ Car Series and. Unfortunately, he lost his legs in a horrible accident um, uh, at the Lausitz ring. But um, anyway, they were the drivers at the time, and uh, they they enabled me uh, to drive that car, that Formula One car, 
as uh, as a test driver. So oh, I really? Did, so I did a little bit of testing in uh, 1993, that was. And I finished second in the championship. And I'm still, this is my goal and dream. And, you know, when you can visualize yourself, I could see, you know, I was just visualizing myself being a, yeah. a Grand Prix driver. Well, that's what I was most curious about, what your internal confidence was at that time. There's the presenting confidence. Yeah. And then there's the home at night in bed, maybe. But you were at that stage, yeah. you, you thought, I'm going to do this. I lacked the presenting confidence, but I had this. Okay. This, I, I could just visualize myself. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to do it. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the problem is the higher you rise, the harder it, the harder it gets, the more competition. And the cars get faster and suddenly danger becomes prevalent, you know. And, mm -hmm. and suddenly racing then in, up in a Formula 2 cars and uh, having driven a Formula 1 car, I'm like, wow, this thing is like. You could, it's getting serious. This is serious. You could seriously mess your hair up in this yeah so and i suppose there was something well, it, in me that then started to build in a little bit of a, a little doubt a, a bit of a doubt and a bit of a safety factor particularly yes. in some of the the high-speed corners would it be fair to describe this as or this is what would be my guess i've only raced like i raced the super trofeo series no real downforce yeah. right so i've never experienced real downforce my guess would be as you're ramping up in these cars and the yeah. downforce is getting more and more it's almost like an exponential curve of commitment yeah. Where it's like a lot of these turns you go, well, the car's not going to work unless I enter this turn at 130. Yeah. Exactly. But I got to get to 130 get a, for and, the car to work. And getting brain and foot to connect at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, had a damper in between. <laughs> and and in the slow speed corners, you could be as quick as anybody because there's less risk. But, you know, suddenly you're, you're herring down a straight at over 200 miles an hour. And yeah. you're coming up to the corner that everybody's telling you that's that's flat out. Flat. And and your brain is computing this and going, that doesn't look flat, yeah. flat out to me. And your heart's saying, no, come on, let's get on with it. Yes. Um, but my it's a leap of faith to my, think the car will stick. Exactly. Right? But my brain would often overrule my heart and say, come on, let's <laughs> let's build a margin in here. Yeah, let's live to see tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And and then you end up building up to it. And and the really good guys, they've just got a natural um, aptitude for it, a complete inner confidence in themselves, a feeling of the car, and they don't have to build up to it. They just go and do it. Right. And that's something I've seen from when I was driving with the good guys as well, that they just go and do it and they don't need to build up. They don't need a session. They don't need to. They hop in hours. and go. They just go. And I had this very vivid moment where I was running in Formula 3000, which is now the Formula 2 equivalent. And there was a driver, you might've heard of this one, Juan Pablo Montoya. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm glad the story's true because I was wondering if it was a apocryphal. I know a Colombian super fast driver. And we were at Estoril before the season. I was tracking Portugal. And at Estoril is a long straight. And the old school track used to have two very fast right-hand corners. And there'd be a barrier that was about 20 meters from the, from the track. Mm -hmm. um, and they were sort of like a sixth gear corner. So we're talking 160, 170 mile an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm coming out of the pit lane that filters onto the track and Montoya comes herring past and he commits to this right-hand turn and I can just see the car is moving and dancing around and the rim is trying to pop through the sidewall of the tire and <laughs> he's on opposite lock and he's got his right foot absolutely planted. In the kitchen. And I just knew at that point, I can't do that. I cannot, I couldn't either have the confidence or the skill or the bravery to commit to that corner in the way they did. So I knew prior to that season, 
this is look, the, as I, far as I'm going to go. I, with I was honest with myself to say, look, I, I'm I'm not even going to try and carve a career out in another category. I'm going to need to do something because I don't want to go to a university. <laughs> right, I right, need, right. I, you know, I need to earn a living. Yeah, and. I've created this team. At this point, you you started the team yeah. that you're driving for, Arden? That's right. Okay. So I want to spend two seconds on that decision because you're saying it like it's it was obvious to you in the moment and that you were able to accept that. But yeah. I, I, there wasn't like, that's a very hard, especially if you start at 12 or 11. Yeah. For 10 years now, your identity is, that's where I'm going. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. The, life makes sense to me because I'm in pursuit of this. This is this is an enormous, this is like my identity shatters. It's back to the drawing board. Who am I? Where am I going? Yeah. Was it brutal, that decision? It was brutal, but it also, I had another route. And having created this team, yeah. because uh, motor racing you, survives on sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And as a young driver coming up, it's dependent uh, in many cases on the sponsorship that you can generate and you have to go to a team and you buy a ride. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a certain amount of money not to go to a top team. And I thought, I don't want to go to a shitty team. I may as well buy the car myself, yeah. employ an engineer and a couple of mechanics, and at least I got the car at the end of the year yeah. rather than a set of overalls and some pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so really starting the team was a means to an end for me to go racing. You already started seeing the backup plan yeah, simultaneous and, to that. Well, not at that point. When I started the team, it was like, okay, this is the most cost-effective way for me to get to Formula 2. But then having seen the Montoya effect, I'd like, okay, I need a plan B here. And and the plan B would be, maybe I could build this team up and I could run this team and I can stay in the sport and rather than, and be honest with myself. And it was yeah. like, don't kid yourself. If I can't play at the highest level, I don't want to you know, I, yeah. I don't want to play. I'm, I'm gonna gonna do something else. Yeah. And at this point, you're in Formula Three Thousand. Yeah, that's right. Which was a league as an answer to Formula Two because Correct. Formula Two had become so expensive. Was- yeah, Formula Two. I don't know what happened with the name, but they they renamed it Formula Three Thousand at that point, and now it was like the finishing school for Formula One. It was the it was the understudy. It would follow the tour around on a, at about eight or ten tracks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was the final the final step before Formula One. I mean, obviously, you reflect back at this age and go, had I stayed that course, I would have never actually been a champion. Yeah. And by some surrendering of this original goal, I become a champion six times over. Yeah. It's it's, it's kind of wild. It is. But I, I and in those early days with the team, you know, I had to take some massive, massive risks because you know, suddenly you're responsible for employing people. Yes. And and that suddenly was like a big, you know, responsibility at 24, 25 years of and age. And how about suddenly. you out on the town trying to uh, scrounge together money from sponsors? Exactly. That's an entirely different skill set. So you've got to hustle and you've got to sell yourself and you've got to, uh, you've got to raise the money, and and suddenly you 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 have a responsibility to make sure every Friday, you know, the ten guys that were in the team were all paid, and their mortgages and their livelihood, you know, depended on me. And if I yeah. crashed the car, I could either afford to re- repair the car or pay the mechanics, but I couldn't do both. Right, right. And so suddenly, you know, that responsibility became a you know a real burden. How did you handle the pressure of that? I think again, you build in another safety factor of I cannot afford to crash. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and so, for me, it was very clear that I was going to need to stop. But as as well that uh, you know, when you're running a team in a small business like that, it was very hand to mouth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was living off credit cards. I was maxed out at the bank. Yeah. Um, I was depending on so many things coming. The smallest thing could have tipped me, tipped me over the edge. My guess is you're good at managing stress, but even if you're good at it, does that time seem, well, obviously nostalgia helps, but is that, does that period seem wonderful in your mind or does it seem like, oh my God, I barely lived through that. That was so stressful. I think it was a great education for me and it was for sure it was stressful and you know, I was booking the hotels. I was doing the tax returns. I'm doing the payroll. I'm, uh, you know, I'm washing the truck. I'm doing <laughs> right, all the right. uh, buying used trailers off exactly. of Helmet Marco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I was having to hustle it to to make this thing happen and get the money and and and, and so on. And what was it like to be in your life at that time? If you were a girlfriend or a friend? If <laughs> from a girlfriend point of view, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I remember her mother going, "You need to be thinking of being with somebody else." <laughs> right, right. There's <laughs> no room guy, for you in you, this. You need a guy with a proper job <laughs> that's going to be able to get a mortgage, going to buy a house. Yeah. You know, first paycheck I ever got, I went and bought a Porsche. I was showing no responsibility of that <laughs> right, at right. this point of thing. And I was thinking, do you know what? If all goes wrong, then at least I've given it given it a go. And, and I've just recently watched the Beckham documentary. Have you watched? Yeah. It? Brilliant. I went to the Fuck. premiere. Fantastic. Oh, Whoa. I got to be, yeah. again, I, we don't know about football here. No. I don't know about Beckham. Yeah. I know he's gorgeous yeah. and super popular. Yeah. I don't know that he's as good as he is. I think maybe he's just, he's so he's good a, looking that he's, that's why he's so famous. Oh, he's a legend. Oh, what a fucking legend. Yeah. Also, I loved how honest he was. He's like, I got $50,000 from Adidas. Yeah. I went immediately and bought an M3. Yeah. <laughs> well, very, all of the money. In a very similar, my first pay, I remember I got 60,000 pounds <laughs> as a, as a, out of a deal that I, when I stopped racing. And the first thing I did was go and buy a car. Yeah. And, that, and, that was, and that was when the girlfriend dumped me. <laughs> well, that's, <yeah. laughs> so, so, although mother told her to dump me. But I, the funny thing was that when I was, when I was driving, I had a sponsor and they, they made, cakes they made like celebration cakes that they were selling to a supermarket and they said uh that we've got we've signed two licenses one with a cartoon character called dennis the menace to to make these cakes with dennis menace on and we signed one with this this girl band you know called the spice girls but we think the dennis the menace cake is that's the money in the bank so put the (laughs) put the dennis the menace on your car no so i had dennis the menace on my car and they said if the cake sales go okay we can pay you a little bit more money and so anyway, they started selling the cakes. And I, I remember getting a call and saying, look, the cake sales are going well, but wow, the girl cakes are flying. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we, can, we, can, we can actually pay you a little bit more money. So indirectly, my wife, yes. you know, at a very early age was- uh, Impacting yeah, your ability to buy. She, um, she contributed to my career. Yeah. Another weird, like Max's mom moment. Yeah, exactly. Where he's like, you just don't know where all these yeah, threads are going to weave together. Know, yeah. What skills are you picking up in that, like hard scrabble, scrounging for every part and in sponsorship? Like what what is becoming obvious to you? Because you guys go on to win in mm-hmm. 2000, what, three win the championship, yeah. 2002, four? Yeah, three years in a row. I won it three years in a row. And, and I, you're not, you cannot be the most well-funded team. No, we weren't. We were, and, and 2002, I was, we were properly on the limit. But I thought, do you know what? If it's shit or bust, I got to put a driver that can be capable of winning it. And of course, the good guys never have any money. Mm-hmm. So I took this driver out of Formula One, a Czech guy, and he won the championship the, that year. He, bought a, he beat a driver, Sebastian Bourdais, that came over here. And then he got excluded for being a thousand. Oh, drug tested. A thousand percent over the legal drug limit. Yeah, on what drug? Oh, oh, marijuana. Oh, really? Yeah, 
Yeah. Which is so ironic because that isn't going to help anybody drive a car fast. No. They absolutely. should, in fact, you should get more points if you're found <laughs> to be heavily. But it was the in- first ever drugs case in, in, in motorsport. And so, anyway, I, I managed to. I was expecting you to, as soon as I read that, I was like, I can't wait to find out what drug he was on. He must have been on speed or on, he was. I, it was a guy, it was a guy from the Czech Republic. And I spoke to his, his manager. I said, look, we've got a bit of a problem. He's tested positive for a drugs test. And his manager said, well, he must have inhaled it. You know, he's been in a club, something like that. And he was so kind of Bill a Clinton style. And so anyway, he made three of his employees sit in a room while three others sort of blew smoke at them and <laughs> and then go and get tested. And this was like part of his, <laughs> part of his defense. Plan. <laughs> and other than having sore eyes, they didn't even register. So then it turned out that the guy had been um, – taking a medication for some back spasms from a big crash that he had in Japan. And he had a Czech trainer that was just giving him these pills. And, and it was THC. It. Yeah, he'd been on it for years. Oh, wow. But um, And he won. He won. He, yeah, he won Think the championship. fucking great he'd be uninjured and sharp. And then I got him a drive with Newman Haas. Okay. And um, as soon as the drug thing came out, bang, they pulled everything. They did. And they gave it to the other guy. Mm. So, so he should have won that year. But that put us on the on the map as a winning team, and I won it the next year in two thousand three, and then I, we really dominated in two thousand and four. So in that period, what had you figured out you were great at? What was the thing you were doing that you could recognize in yourself? You have to explain this underdog story of three years in a row. There must yeah. be something you tell yourself, like, okay, this is what I this is my knack. Well, I think it was a few things. One, one was having been in the cockpit was understanding some of the motions that a driver goes through. So being able in a small way to be able to relate to the drivers, to yeah. to get the most out of them, to give an arm around the shoulder. And, and driving like in any sport, it's all about confidence as well. And when you're, when you're sat in the car, it can be a very lonely place. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking out, you want to know that the people around you, that they believe in you, that they're, you know, they're not just going through the motions. And so right. it was setting, creating an environment that was fun, but that the was serious. Yeah. And competitive and hungry. Yeah. And uh, we're all in it together and we're a team and we take on the rest of the world with the underdog. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, let's punch above our weight. A lot of what you do, as I was thinking about talking to you, really, really parallels directors of movies. Mm-hmm. And so often the great directors are the ones who've acted themselves. They understand the yeah. insecurity of doing a job where 100 people look at you and you fail at the job 12 times in a row before yeah. you get it right. That's like an important experience to yeah. have. So I imagine being a driver helps enormously. Yeah, so it gave me a great education in that. And then in terms of even with a Formula 3000 team, even though there was only 20 people in that team, it was about getting the best engineers, but also sometimes the best guys are some kind of awkward in some way. Oh, or sure, yeah, The yeah. engineers, you know. Uh, Most of the greats are not. Slightly autistic in yes, some, yes, for sure. some respect. So it was learning how to get, a diverse group of people to work together as as one team. Yeah. And and that's what we managed to do. And I felt that, you know, that was a skill set I had was in recognizing people's strengths and weaknesses and being able to 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 really hopefully get the best out of them. It's such a mental experience, isn't it? Yeah. It's totally it's all I'm trying to think like if tennis always appears to me to be like maybe apex mental. You watch some of these players just like break down at some point or mm-hmm. lose the momentum and it's just tangible. Yeah. Would we say driving's that, on that same level or a little less or? Yeah, you can say it's on that. I mean, we've got exactly that going on at the moment with Checo. I know, I you know. know. And so, it, it's such a heartbreaking thing. Yeah, to, and we all want to see him, you know, do the best that he can. But I think 
since Miami, it's been a been tough for him because he started the year so well. Yeah, he won two races. Won he two was... races. He's right there in the championship. We go to Miami. He gets an open goal because Max got a penalty, not penalty, but he, uh, red flags and different situations meant that he was outside the top 10 in qualifying. And yeah. at that point would have been an open goal for Checo. And by the 12th lap or something, yeah, Max is ahead of him. And I think- That's a demoralizing Banks, I think that then created the questions. Yeah. And then we went to Monaco. He tried too hard. He crashed in practice. Then yeah. you're on the back foot. And then well, you we end up in- poker, a, we'd say like, he's just, he's just on tilt now. He's like, yeah. he's driving on tilt. And it's yeah. kind of obvious. And it's, it's truly heartbreaking. I think if there's any driver, well, there's two drivers everyone roots for. Hmm. He and Yuki. People yeah. love fucking Yuki, I, yeah. myself included. My kids love Yuki. I mean, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. I think he should be in movies when this is all over. Yeah, so I mean, he, he's so likable. He came He came over to the UK to learn English and drive an English team that was based on the outskirts of London. And it, they are something like out of a movie from Snatch or like a guy, uh, okay. like a guy Ritchie movie. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. you know, this little Japanese guy um, thought that motherfucker or the word fuck was, was part of just part of the English language, okay. part of the English vocabulary. So, How could he not? So he gets in a Formula One car and his very first test, he's going, I got to understand you motherfucker. And, and did he really say that? Or, you know, it was hilarious. Oh, it is wonderful. What seems obvious about you and what, what, what is appealing about you, or at least what it seems like in Drive to Survive is you love these dudes. Yeah. You do. I mean, I think the testament to that, and I'm the only person I'm really friends with in Formula One is Daniel. Yeah. We're buddies. And I think there's a lot of people in your position that would have not invited him back into the family that maybe would have felt that he turned his back on the family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it shows your colors so much that you were first to go, Let, let's get you back in the family. Yeah, Daniel. I mean, look, Daniel's a great guy. Oh, what a dude. Very badly advised in his earlier career. And look, everybody fucks up at some point. And I yes. think I think he recognized that he made a mistake. Yeah. He had not good advice around him at the point that he that he left us. And and he could see that Max was growing and yeah. and probably didn't realize just how good he was gonna be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, having spent a few years outside of the family, he suddenly realized that, whoa, actually what I had was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh It's like when you break up with a girl and you're like, yeah. oh, fuck me. Yeah, that dude's with her. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was pretty good. <laughs> So, and it was horrible to see it just get worse and worse and worse. And it was actually this time last year in Mexico that I sat down with him in in uh, my hotel room and I said, look, you need a complete reset. You know, take a year out. Yeah. Come come back to us. we got a bunch of sponsors and a lot of marketing stuff. Which, by the way, he, he's such a win for you guys. Like, totally. I look at, you know, he went over to Dearborn and he was hanging out with um, – with Jim Farley. Far- Jim Farley. Yeah, yeah, and pretty- then I know Jim Farley. And then Jim's yeah. like, oh, Another my God, that guy. Ricardo guy is the greatest. And, yeah. and I'm like, he's the dream. Send him anywhere. Yeah. He can be so useful to a team in that capacity. And he's another confidence driver. When he's got his mojo, Watch he out. is one of the fastest guys on the grid. He's lethal. He has the magic thing that people have or they don't have, in my opinion, which is there are winners and there's not winners. I yeah. don't know what that is. Yeah. Jordan was one. Yeah. We have a bunch of examples. And if you look at his career, all, all in totality, not great, but he he has won uh, he has won many races. He has people spend careers never winning a race. And he came to us. I mean, he was one of the juniors. I remember going to watch him in Formula Three and so on. He really stood out and very smooth, very you, you know, just great. Yeah, natural, kind of an elegant driver. Yeah, almost like a 
uh, a Roger Federer mm-hmm. kind of style behind the wheel. Very, very classic. Yeah, light touch. Very light touch. Great, great, great skill. And then he came uh, He came through the, the, the system. We had Sebastian Vettel, uh, four-time world champion. Yeah, beast. Yeah, Mark Webber retired. Great. We talked Daniel as the junior with no expectation on him. And he started getting on the podium's ass. And, and he was coming out. He won three races in 2014 when we didn't have far, had far from the best engine. Yeah. And Sebastian never won a race that year. See, this is the thing. And or even his, his time at McLaren, it sucked for him. Yeah. But also, he's the only one that won he's a race in McLaren. A race. And for a long time now. Yeah. And, and Renault, he put in some great performances. And I think he's, again, he's another confidence guy. He's got to feel. He's got to feel the love. He's got to feel comfortable in the environment that, that he's in. And some of his races for us were, were absolutely outstanding. It's really interesting for me to go back now and watch that first season of Drive to Survive. Because that's at the apex of the Max Daniel stuff, yeah, right? that's right. And it's not obvious at that moment. I don't know how you know this stuff. Yeah. It's not at that point, if you're asked, a thousand people are asked to judge yeah. who's a faster driver. Who knows? It's a coin yeah. flip. Max is a fucking phenom. Yeah. I mean, he's a... No, and it was obvious at that stage he was coming. Yeah. And he was growing. He's so young. And so young. And you could see just the raw talent. It just needed polishing a bit. Yeah. So we gave Max a contract at the beginning of that year in, in 18 to secure his future. Yeah. And, and Daniel, I remember being upset at the time. <laughs> yeah. He, he suddenly felt that, hang on, I don't want to be the support act here. Yeah, yeah. And I could tell he was starting to, you, you know, Think of being a bigger fish in a in Smaller another pond. pond. Yeah, and he got a lot of noise in his ear, and that this is the well, money's show. also on the table too. And money was right? also on the table, and yeah. but I remember I spoke to to our owner Dietrich Matterschitz before the Austrian Grand Prix, and I said, "Look, he's he's looking a bit marginal with Daniel. Will you can you just show him some some love? Because you know Helmut obviously very pro Max, but I think if you could just balance things out, yeah, just just let him know that you want him. No problem. I'll speak to him." So he took him upstairs after the race in, in Austria, and they were gone for well over an hour. And then they to reattached. To the point where you're starting to get I'm nervous? Like, Shit, what happened? <laughs> yeah, there should have been a 15-minute pep talk. Exactly. And yeah. then they, re-emer- they, they reappear, both with smiles on their faces, and uh, Dietrich comes up to me. I said, well, how, how did it go? And he said, yeah, no problem. It's not, even a, it's not even a question. I said, well, what did you agree with him? And he said, I'll just give him. I said, well, give him whatever Max has had on. I was like, wow. Do you know what we just gave? Do Max. you know what we pay Max? And he, went, <laughs> he went, no. How, well, how much do we pay Max? And so I gave him the number, and he said, "Who the fuck agreed to that?" And I said, "Well, you did." And he was like, "Oh, that's a lot of money. That's too much money to pay two and, people." <laughs> and then he went. He said, "No, he's a he's a great guy. Let's do it. Oh, Let's give wow. him give him the same deal. Yeah, that that." Max has. So his agent was obviously uh, jumping through hoops at the time. And, and that was for a two-year deal, for mm-hmm. a two-year deal. And then we went off to Germany to the race and and his engine blew up because the big issue was the engine at that time. Yeah, you had the Renault, had the Renault motors. Engine. Yeah. And the engine kept letting him down, letting him down, letting him down. And then from there, we went to Hungary and we got all the paperwork sorted out and this and the other. And then his manager came to me and said, look, Daniel's really nervous about the engine situation because we were going to change to Honda. He'll do one year. I thought, wow, okay, that's not really what we Mm -hmm. talked about because in six months, we're just going to be having the same conversation. But Right. So I remember, uh, you know, went back to Dietrich, I spoke to Dietrich and said, look, he's, and he said, look, it's about relationships. It's not about, it's not about contracts or contracting. If he wants a year, give him a year. So at this point, he's got 
everything he would want. Everything he would yeah, want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he was doing a test for us after the Hungarian race. And it was like, okay, yeah, Daniel will sign the paperwork on uh, you know, Monday. And suddenly Monday goes. And he's in the car on Tuesday. And I'm saying that I'm starting to smell a little bit of a rat here because this is an enormous deal. You'd have thought he'd have been in a rush yeah, to, yeah. To, to sign this this contract. And he didn't sign it before he got in the car in the morning. And then no, oh, he's gonna sign it at lunchtime and all that. That didn't happen. And then, oh, he's had to get out of the car and go straight to the airport because he's flying here to LA. He'll call you when he gets to LA. And I I'm so I'm smelling. Yeah, you know you're about to get broken. Yeah. If your girlfriend didn't show up to lunch, yeah. then dinner, and then she exactly. <laughs> yeah, you go. I so, know it's coming. So he <laughs> rings me, and I was in the car. I had I was Jerry was in the car with me, and he said, "Look, I've just got off the plane. Uh, I've arrived in LA. I I've been thinking all the flight the way here. Um, I'm I'm not going to sign the contract. I'm going to take another contract." I was like, "Wow, okay. Have you got?" Have Mercedes or Ferrari, Ferrari come yeah. through with something? And he went, no, I'm going to sign for Renault. The manufacturers of the motor, the, I hate. The, the, the engine that's just let him down for the last two years. And I'm like, I, I was convinced. I was convinced. Because Daniel, you know, he's got a sense of humor. Yes, he's brilliant. He's funny. taking the piss here. He's yeah, definitely, yeah. I was like, Because it on. is kind of a punchline after the season yeah. you had the notion that you would go to a Renault. It's exactly. kind of a, yeah, it's, it's like, come on, dude, there's no man. way you're going to Renault. Stop <laughs> fucking about. Just to, you yeah. know, tell me you sign the contract. And there's any team that's not going to be running a Renault motor next year. It's uh, Renault. And so after about 10 minutes, he finally persuaded me that he had gone to, he, he was going to go to Renault. And uh, it's like, well, you know, it was disappointing. Um, but again, I want to, I want to applaud you. A lot of people that go through that exact experience. Yeah. Go, all right, fuck you. Yeah. You know, and there was an element good of good luck and I'm going to enjoy yeah. when this doesn't work out for you. And there was, and an that's not you. There was an element of that at the time thinking, sure, you know what? Okay. Sure. Go and suck on the lemon for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then actually, it was during the pandemic. He remember he called me and he said, "Christian, I hate to say this to you, but you were absolutely right, and I apologize." And oh, that's nice. And and so on. And yeah, you know, we just kept. We've always had a a, a good relationship. He's a good guy. And he's he such just, a good. He was just badly advised at the time. Yeah. The other thing that's relevant. Obviously, there's so many rumors about like what will happen to Checo, who yeah. comes to Red Bull, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And when we're all talking about it on the show, it's like, I don't even wish that role for anyone. If I love role. a driver, let's say Charles. I love Charles. Yeah. I think he's brilliant. I wish he were on a different team. I have no desire to watch Charles come and get beat by Max every week I'm and like be a second driver. Well, it's just like driving next to Terminator. I mean, it's... It's it, just, it, it's a very, uh, it's a thankless <laughs> job. He is... He is a generational talent. And then some, right? It's crazy you've had two of those drivers. Because yeah. Vettel will also go down in the history books, right? Sebastian was a wonderful driver. And, and yeah, we're very lucky to have had two guys in, in that category. But I think Max even takes it to another dimension. I think so. I think, like, what's ahead is still going to be. I mean, be... it's quite stunning what he's done and is doing. And, and look, to be his teammate is the hardest job in the pit lane. Completely. Yes, the person that you're competing against is the fastest guy to do it for 30 years or whatever yeah. we want to say. Yeah. So even if you're driving at your apex, you're going to be 0.3 behind him. And his soul destroying on, he broke the young teammates that he had come in. And we talked Checo because he's got that bit of experience. He's got, he's a pretty rounded individual. But And is it fair to say, I think like, say 2021, yeah. Checo had such a role. Yeah. The car wasn't as good as Mercedes. No. And he got to help Max Absolutely. get that. I mean, the the quality of the last race is like without stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. I've never seen someone fall on their sword in that manner. Yeah. Like just a hero. 
Yeah. So it was a thankful job at the beginning. Yeah. But now we've transitioned into the car's dominant. Yeah. And it's just like you want to show up and finish second or even worse, you don't finish second and you, yeah. everyone knows you should. Yeah. It's, it's a rough, if it's, it's a rough. It's tough. And it's such a judgmental sport that you're as good as your last race in, in so many respects. And I think that, you know, Checo bought a bunch of experience. He said, look, he's a tough. Oh, tough operator he's he's got mental resilience that he's the last not, person other than max i want to try to pass yeah he's you're, a racer yes he's he will die he, he will fucking he's die he's not a qualifier but he's an absolute racer i totally agree he's so fun to watch yeah. battle he's yeah. fearless yeah so and he has an identity that's still great absolutely and i think that uh you know checo has done a done a great job next to max during the last three years because you know when you're looking at the data of what max is doing and you've only got a if you look at a race like japan the very first lap that max does out of the pits is two seconds quicker than the rest of the field and you're looking at that data and you're thinking how has he done that how has he done that and so often you know that will happen and i think the problem is for checo he's trying to compare himself to max and what he needs to do is forget about max yes and just focus on himself. Yeah. Don't even look at his data. Don't even look at just just focus on being the best you can be. And you know, as we saw earlier in the year, some sometimes that can be good enough. Absolutely. But you look at or again, I don't know the guy, but what appeared to be how much Botas was enjoying that role, it was terrible on him. Yeah. It was sure. not fun for him to be racing with no. Lewis in that car. No, or if you go back against, you know, Senna or his teammates or Schumacher. <laughs> yeah. It's or, demoralizing. Yeah, you know, you can you can see there's been, there's a pattern with those guys that have just destroyed their teammates. You know, teammates that are all very capable drivers. Yes. Yeah. The person that comes in, they have to enter. I think. Yeah. Wanting to retire, having finished second many yeah. many years in a row. We see Checo was out. Uh, you know, 2020, he was right. done. Yeah. And I remember we were struggling at the time with a, with with Alex Albon because he'd come in too soon. Yeah. And, and we just needed somebody. Can I just say none, none of my business? Yeah. He's the guy I would want in the second seat. Yeah, he's brilliant. He, he, he's so good. Wise, he's fantastic. And he deserves to be yeah. flying. And he did a fantastic job for us when he stepped down as to be test driver. He never complained. He never moaned. He put in the hours. And I was really happy I was able to find him a seat in Williams. Yeah. And he was... He overdrives that car every week. He's demonstrating what is, you know, he's found his form. He's got the experience now. Yeah. He's toughened for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's a hot property again. And, you know, Checo at the time, at the end of 20, he just won that race in Bahrain Mm -hmm. uh, from the back of the grid. And it was like, you know, we need somebody with a chunk of experience that 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 can bring another dimension to being Max's teammate. And, you know, he certainly did that in, in, in 21 and, He's been a big part of the success the last few years. Yeah, it wasn't obvious to me when you guys hired him, but as I watched him race and I realized, oh, this is the ideal teammate for Max. How do you, again, you take Vettel, you've mm-hmm. now got to be the boss of, again, two of the greatest drivers to ever mm-hmm. drive. I presume their personalities are different. Totally, diametrically opposite. Okay, great. Yeah. In which ways? Well, Sebastian's very much uh, the analytical German into every single detail. Yeah, would be at the track until eleven o'clock at night, challenging data. His his after race debrief. It'd take him half an hour just to do the formation lap okay. before the race even started. Uh-huh. Uh, he was just driven, <laughs> and he had by a very good mechanical mind, perfection, and you know, very Germanic in the way that he went 
about organizing his life and he'd read the Michael Schumacher School of Motor Racing and that was how he was going to live live his life. Yeah. And and Max is just different. Max huge huge natural ability. Not really that interested in all the detail. Right. He will give you what he needs to go faster. Right. And that's it. What are my limitations? Yeah. I and, can feel I'm in perfect concert with this thing and I can tell you what yeah, feels wrong to me. That's what I need. Just saw that out and I'll go quicker. Saw that problem out and he does go quicker. Right. And you know when you strap him in, you're going to get 110%. He's a guy that hates testing. You know, he, oh, he does. testing for him is like a waste of a day. Ah. Uh, he's a, just a racer. He just wants to race. And if he's not racing in the real world, he's racing in the <laughs> virtual <laughs> world. That's insane. And he'll give you 110%, but he expects 110%. Back. Yeah. I think uh, you guys are great partners. So, so yeah, just, but then when he takes the helmet off, he's the nicest Young guy you could ever meet, very unassuming, doesn't want to... He's shy, right? He's shy. He's naturally shy. He doesn't want to be... Fame sits uncomfortably with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's not a diva or anything like that. He's just one of the boys. And It's interesting as I've met the other drivers and I, of course, gather gossip about all of them. And every time I hear these stories, yeah. the kind of resounding unanimous feedback is like everyone loves Max. Yeah. Everyone tells me Max is actually the sweetest guy off the track. Yeah. And he's, shy and nice. He's just a good guy and he's a fun guy and he's old school as well in... Uh, you know, he won the championship in Qatar, and yeah, I said, okay, let's let's get the whole team together. We'll just have a couple of drinks. It's not every day you win a world championship, and it was unusual to win it on a Saturday, right? Yeah. Um, and we got a Grand Prix, by the way, in forty-two degrees on Sunday, so everybody needs to be in bed at a sensible time. Yeah, yeah. You know, Max is five gin and tonics in, and it's like, <laughs> guys, we need to stop that. Right? Everybody needs to go to bed now. So everybody was, uh, you know, hanging on on. On Sunday, you know, we got all the drivers passing out with the heat. I think Max was on some kind of detox. Yes, yes. Um, listen to me, listen to me. And you don't have to comment on this, but many times over the years I've been watching it, I was like, Max might do better hungover. This is now another <laughs> challenge he can overcome. So he, um, you know, he, he, he trains hard. He takes it all very, very seriously. But he's just got such huge ability, such huge. I've never met a driver with as much self-confidence or self-belief um, you know, the, it's infectious the, the, when you're watching him and you see him go for something, you yeah. just believe you believe as the, you're almost yeah. not even afraid for him. You're yeah. like, oh, it's infectious. I, he can do anything. He's like he a wants. dog with a bone and you see his helmet in the mirror. You know, he's going to have a go. You just know yeah. he's coming. One of my other preoccupations with Max is watching all of the OCD things he does, yeah. which is very fascinating. I watch him put his gloves on the thing, and he's yeah. got to adjust those three times. When he takes his helmet, yeah. he's got to do that. There was the tear-off strip just stuck yeah. to the front of the car, and he could not let it go. He had to fucking yeah. pull it off while he was yeah. driving. That stuff interests me so much. But we have, all have those things. I mean, I've had that since I was driving. I mean, I have a lucky toilet at each track. I, <laughs> I'll always approach the drivers from the right-hand side on uh -huh. the grid. I'll always stand in the garage for the start of a Grand Prix. Um, you know, so there's little things that I think, I, I don't th so much think they're superstitions as they're just ways of getting you into your... I've into heard a lot of athletes tell me you control all the things you can control before yeah. you get to the thing you ultimately can't control. That's kind of what's driving it. Like, I'm just sure there's a lot of that. Yeah, it's like every I'm going to control every element until the uncontrollable starts. Yeah. What have you learned over the... How long have you guys been together now? Seven years? Since Max, since 2016, yeah. Seven years. How have you adjusted how you communicate with him and, and, and help him 
Have you figured some stuff out along the well, way? Well, he's evolved so much. Because when he came to us, he was a teenager. I mean, he was like 17, 17 years of age. Insane. He had a dream debut. He won on his debut. and Fucking unreal. Bang, bang. You know, he's arrived. And yeah. he's the most intricate en- uh, relationship is with the engineer. Because the engineer is the closest you're ever going to get to a to a coach. He's living and breathing the data. He's he's the only one with you. He's the only right. one with you. He's in the car. He, he can see how hard you're pushing the throttle, the brakes. He's seeing all the, he can even sense your mood by what he's seeing in the yeah in the data and so he's he's totally it's a marriage it's a marriage and he's totally in tune with what is going on with his driver in the car now Max is a bit like a thoroughbred racehorse you know he's high stronger uh, what would we he's, say <laughs> he's you know he's definitely red blooded and 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 you know, he he definitely can rev pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And it takes a strong character to not to, take any of that personally. To not take that personally, and to be able to channel it. And so the relationship that he has with Jampera or GP is is race engineer. They've been together since day one, and GP joined us to be Sebastian Vettel's engineer. Okay. And then Sebastian left, and he ended up as Danny Kvyat's engineer for a year, and then became Max, Max's. Max joined. And that relationship has just developed and developed a bit like a marriage. Really. It's becoming very fun to listen to yeah. on the telecast. To the point that it's like. Because he's thrown some jabs back uh, occasionally when he can feel it's the right and time. And you're probably only getting half of it. So of this, course, is, this is going on constantly between the two of them <laughs> where they're jabbing at each other, even in the garage and blah, 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 on the stuff that you can't hear that's on our close, <laughs> close circuit. And, and there's just this banter or this total trust as well between uh, the two of them. I remember at Silverstone this year, Max drove out of the pit lane and he clipped the pit wall and he damaged the front wing. Yeah, yeah. It's the only incident all year. And they had to to pull him back in the the grid. And his engineer said, Max, what happened there? And I lent to him on the pit. I said, look, GP, he just hit the the pit wall. And he came back to me and he said, yeah, I know. I just want to hear him say. I want him to admit. I want him to admit yeah, absolutely that he's driven our car. The, the flawless field. person yeah. is flawed. So, so, <laughs> so uh, they've got that kind of you know banter yeah. and, uh, and and respect is the most important thing. There's a big respect between the but two. But you personally, ultimately, it's all rolling downhill from you. Yeah. Let me also say to you, I thought. Austin was a really beautiful display of the team. Mm-hmm. So often it's Max. You know, like Max gets so much credit. We know the car's great. That's yeah. kind of Adrian Newey. We all go, fuck this guy, Adrian Newey. He's got more championships than anybody. Which, by the way, you brought him. So yeah. hats off to you. You brought him to the team. It's not always on display, but I would say Austin was incredible. Where you're watching this race and you're going, everyone, okay, they're on a one-stop. They're ahead. How's yeah. this going to work? And... Similar to that confidence you have as if you were watching Max, mm-hmm. when you guys switch to two-stop, or I don't know that you switch, but yep. when you commit to two-stop, everyone I'm watching was like, that's not going to work. They're this amount of time. You know, yep. everyone's trying to calculate in their head. Yeah. And I literally go, there's no way they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way they're wrong. Like, that's that's yeah. how confident I think, that's how well the team is working, where I yep. go, if I got to bet who's right here, it's them. And you, and you guys were. I thought it was a really great moment for the team yep. in Austin. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, as a race team, we've always been an attacking race team. Uh, we've always, you know, we've pitted from the leads to take better tires to make sure that rather than having protecting track position, we're on the right tires at the right time. And I right. think as a race team, our mantra has always been, you know, no risk, no fun. You also have maintained this underdog thing, which yeah, is crazy. It, exactly. Even though, even though we're winning, <laughs> yeah, yes, winning a, a chunk of races. <laughs> you know, that's the way we've always gone racing. And that's something that... Uh, 
we've embodied with throughout throughout the team is come on we can take this on we can do this we can achieve this who should we credit for that strat the, who's who who deserves the credit for the impeccable strategy all season oracle <laughs> wonderful <laughs> so, and so, specifically ellis let's just say yeah. he in particular <laughs> so so no we get some great software but it's as good as the numbers you put into it and and it's something that's uh, you know hannah gets a lot of credit but she's just one of a team and uh-huh. and you know will courtney her boss and and the other strategists steve knowles and so on you know everybody works as a team and and they'll put options in front of me and and then yeah how you know, involved are off. you in those and oh, how very s- much involved i, I want I, I i'm i'm if you like we have a, a chain of command and and the strategist will, I'm working most with the strategist through the race. Mm-hmm. So they will present options to me at any point in time. If a safety car comes out now, what are we going to do? Are we going to split the cars? Are we going to pit both? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to double stack? We, and, what, and, it's, or, and sometimes these decisions have to be made in uh, about eight seconds. Quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I'm constantly challenging them. What if, what if, what if? Uh-huh. Uh, and they're constantly coming up with uh, scenarios in front of me. So it's very much a team effort. If you had to give a percentage to how confident you are, let's say Austin. Yeah. When you make the decision for the two stop, are we at 60% confident? Are we at 51%? I, I think in terms of confidence of running our fastest race, we're at 90%. Okay. When you we're make those decisions, you're not like super stressed that. No. So the, so in Austin, we're 90% confident that's our best race. What we don't know what's going to happen is how are the others going to react? What are they going to do? Well, they do? reacted poorly. This just uh, uh, exactly. And so Mercedes sort of set off on another journey and then they abort it and then that immediately puts them in in sort of no man's land yeah and and so yeah they ended up on a better tire at the end of the race but they had they hadn't got the track position at that point in time listen you're reluctant to own your own gifts but i'm gonna keep pushing so <laughs> another thing i'm curious is how you kept your optimism between you went you guys win four as a team yeah and then you just watch mercedes win for eight fucking years that was tough how do you stay optimistic, hungry, and focused in that much defeat? Well, I felt a responsibility and I had a belief that we just needed to address the elements that were causing the issue. And we went from winning, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, four on the bounce, and then a massive regulation change to the engine and our engine supplier completely missed the target. And at that point, you know, Vettel leaves because of the engine. Adrian came very close to leaving. He was within about half an hour of signing. Well, I've been told he he kind of just went on a soft retirement. He stayed, but he started working on other cars and stuff. He, uh, Ferrari came hard for him and he was, and they promised him the world. You can have a Hollywood lifestyle, fly into the factory for Monaco every day and not pay any tax. And um, (laughs) you can design a road car and this, that, and the other. And I managed to persuade him to stay by saying, look, we'll do a road car. If you want to do a road car, we'll do a road car. He said, "Well, how?" I said, "Well, I have no idea, but we'll find a way. We'll make it. <laughs> we'll make it happen." And through the relationship that we had with Aston Martin and 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 so on, their CEO, I went to Andy Palmer. I said, "Look, we've got a, the, the, arguably the best designer of all time. You've got a great, great brand. We're not going to finance the car, but it would make sense to bring these two things together." And that's yeah, literally in a pub in England. That's that's how it how it happened. Oh wow! Similar to your relationship with Ford. No, when I interviewed Jim. Mm-hmm. He's like, I looked around, I was like, we need arrow bad yeah. for this electric movement. Yeah. How do I get arrow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think we, you know, it was able to, it, it enabled Adrian to fulfill his ambition. It kept him in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it was not losing sight of, guys, you know, we just need to sort out, if we can sort the engine issue out, you know, we can, we'll be back in a winning position. And so it maybe was, it was helpful that it was so obvious what your shortcoming was. It was, but it wasn't obvious the way out. Right. The way out wasn't obvious, no. but at least maybe you could hold on to some yeah. confidence going, well, that's the thing. It's not a mystery yeah. what we have to solve. No, but, it, but the problem was everybody got used to winning and suddenly you're not winning and nobody likes that. Yeah. So whether it was in the team, suddenly the questions, we lost Vettel. Even the owners were saying, maybe we'll sell the team. You right. Know, we'll sell the Audi. You know, morale is just in the toilet. Yeah, you know, we've so so the shareholders for the first time ever, Dietrich was starting to say, "We can't do this. Mm. Um, we need an OEM." Yeah, blah blah blah. So yeah. then, thankfully, Dieselgate came along and it stopped that deal. Um, right. But we came that close to being Audi. Being Audi. Oh wow. Um, and then Honda came along, and it was a bit of a risk, but it was a calculated risk because we did a season with Toro Rosso, what is Alpha Tori first. Mm -hmm. I could see the engine was getting better and better, and that the the Honda guys they had as much invested as we did for it to to work, mm -hmm. and we could see the product was was coming. Their heritage in the sport was fantastic. Yeah, and we decided to go for it. Yeah, and it and it all came good. How scary is that decision? Well, it was sort of nothing to lose, really, because the engine was no worse than the Renault, and they got a lot more commitment that they were prepared to make. So the safe option would have been to stay with what we knew, with the Renault guys promising us every year is going to be better. Yeah, and they're still in the same situation now. Whereas Honda, you know, they backed it up by investing, by investing, mm -hmm. and they knew when they got Red Bull as a partner that the expectation was was sky high. It's championships. And then the suddenly, you know, they, they came back into Formula 1. They never scored a podium. First race, we were on the podium. By race nine, we're winning. Right. You know, we won in Austria. Uh, and we went on to win three races for them that year. And then suddenly, you, you know, the you, momentum start, you find, a, find the momentum. Yeah. Is it challenging to have the role you have with, say, Max's dad so close in the scene? Uh, well, he's not actually that close. I he's mean, not. He's, he's just there. He's visual. Okay. But in terms of... It was very clear from the word go that the contract was with Max. Yes, you know, and and he was welcome to 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 be a supportive dad. And to be honest, we've never ever had an issue. He's never you know, advised with, like with him. I'm sure he advises Max, you know, behind the scenes and and so on. But he's been very supportive of Max. He's been yeah, you know, compared to to some of the motor racing dads that we've had over the years, he's actually been very very good to deal with and very easy to have around. Yeah, not the smiliest guy. No, it's he's a pretty scary-looking guy, <laughs> especially if you're Sergio Perez and you've just <laughs> won in Azerbaijan. <laughs> What's the drive to survive impact on your life? And I'm particularly interested, again, I'm in a relationship where we're both recognized. Okay. Her more than me. Yeah. She's far more famous. Right. Um, clearly, for a while, you're more invisible than your wife. Yeah, for sure. And then the show comes along, and I got to imagine you're traveling around That's the world. Not and crazy. All, all of a sudden, like normal people know you, it's, not just race junkies. It's, it's not. So, yeah. I, I mean, before Drive Survive, anybody that followed Formula One, yes, you're a name, but you were a name in that paddock, and then you leave the paddock and you ha you go back into a anonymity. And that, yeah, you leave the nice. bubble. You leave the bubble. Yeah. You, you're big in the bubble, but outside the bubble, you're It's you're kind no of one. perfect. Yeah. You can exactly. take it off was, the cake. It was absolutely perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and of course, my wife, uh, you know, being in the biggest girl band of all time has grown up under the media spotlight with people going through her bins and, oh, yes. you know, all the stuff that you're not aware of. And and suddenly... They're hacking phones in England. Oh, I mean, they're all fucking shit. brutal. There was all, all kinds of shit. Yeah. Anyway, Drive to Survive comes along and 
and things just go go bananas. And you know, it used to be we come into the U.S. and they go, "Are you Ginger Spice? Can I can I have a photo with you?" Yeah, yeah. Now it's like, "Are you the dude from Drive to Survive?" <laughs> and I like, "No, he's much taller than I am." Uh, no. And and it's amazing. I mean, even going around Disneyland the other day, I'm sure the amount of people that that. Uh, and we were unknown in the U.S. previously, but now, um, you, you know, it's it's unbelievable. Even on uh, in Santa Monica, down on the pier yesterday, we went down there, and it's the amount of people following Formula One is just gone off. It's the like five x in yeah, the U.S. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, if you think of Austin, what was it? This this last race was like four hundred twenty thousand fans. Yeah, five years ago it yeah. was ninety thousand or one hundred and five thousand. Exactly, I mean, it's enormous. Exactly. I've and never seen a show that's more powerful to a it sport. It's transformed the sport. It's, it's transformed the sport. It's transformed the business. Yeah, we've got so many American partners now. I mean, Ford Motor Company without Drive to Survive would not be no. Oh, uh, fucking Ryan Reynolds you know, buying 24%. Yeah. Would not be in Formula One without Dry Survive. Totally. Do you have a good deal of gratitude for it? There's some purists that I don't think love the arrival of me so and all the other. I have a huge amount of gratitude for it's changed it around, but also a responsibility that we bought all this new, new fan base in a young fan base, a female fan base. Yeah, they love the drivers. So suddenly, like my seventeen-year-old daughter is thinks you're cool. It's suddenly I've gone up in the cool scale. Yes, you congratulations. Know? Uh, you know, so um, <laughs> and she's following all the drivers, Yuki or Charles Leclerc or Max or you know Alex or whoever. Um, and suddenly, Formula One is uh, you know it's cool. Yes, um, and it's brought this whole new following in. And of course, it sits uncomfortably with some. But you, what you got to remember is that Drive to Survive is a documentary, and it's a bit like the Kardashians on wheels. You know, it's giving you a glimpse behind the scenes into some of the personalities and the struggles. And it's it's not just about the engineering and the yes. and the sport. It's it's about life, you know, lifestyle, and and so on. It's giving. It's just opening that you know lid into the, the world of Formula One. You know what I think they've done a great job doing is showing all the drama that happens from third place to twentieth. Yeah. Like that's to me the thing that they shone a light on where you're like, oh, this is heartbreaking. Yeah. The stakes to get seventh are huge. For many teams to get a 10th, that's everything. And and knowing how much is going on as opposed to just who won, I think has been really great for the story. And suddenly you meet characters like Gunther Steiner. Oh, yes. I mean, how scary is he? (laughs) I mean, he used to work for us. I had to fire him. (laughs) Um, I mean, how scary was that? Sure. You know, Did he take so, it well? Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, so, so it's it's been transformational for the for the sport. Did you have any judgment of your wife for how she handled the attention? That now that you've had the attention, you've had to reformulate what your judgment was. Now, absolutely, because you know she'd grown up in that spotlight. Yeah, and so she was very protective of private time and so on and you know particularly family time and so on and suddenly bang you know this thing turns up and it changes diametrically it changes everything yeah and um you started appreciating her boundaries and absolutely you suddenly appreciate okay there's a bit of a uh you know a cape that you that you have to put on a security cape to 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 just protect keep, just to protect the the people that you love yeah, who haven't volunteered. Yeah, exactly. They didn't sign up to dad having a selfie every three <laughs> yards in Disneyland. Yes, yes. Um, okay, rapid fire. What is wrong with Ferrari? They they have the manufacturing prowess. They have mm-hmm. the budget. They have the drivers. Do you look at that team and think to yourself, 
I could go in there and fucking change some. Like, I think the biggest problem for us is a national team, and that is its problem. It needs to get back to being a race team. What do you mean by a national team? You know, it's an, an Italian institute, and there's too many probably people at the top end that uh, everybody has an input and has a say from the outside looking in. One of our strengths is that we're, you know, we move quickly. We make decisions and we stick to them and we just, if we make the wrong decision, we change the decision. Right. You're nimble. And and I think for Ferrari, the the newspapers have such an influence on, you know, what happens there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's a lot of pressure being at, being at Ferrari. When you're hearing Lewis act like he will not act like state that he's never seen a car that was so dominant. When we have like data that he has yeah, yeah. qualified people by two seconds. And yeah, what is, how do you take that? I feel like he's got selective memory. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, some of the winning that they did in that period was just obscene. Yes. But we've had a good run for a couple of years, but uh, the one guy that shouldn't be saying that, I would think, is Lewis. He's about uh, the only person that can't yeah. be mad that some team yeah, is dominant. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's been this enormous interest, as we just talked about, with Drive to Survive. Mm-hmm. It's like, who knows how many X it has yeah. gone up in the sport. There is concern that people get bored because Red Bull's so dominant. Yeah. Is this something that I can't imagine you have space to worry about, but is it something that crosses your mind? Or do you, do you think, because I guess another solution would be like, no one wants to see a great team make themselves shitty so that the yeah. sport's more interesting. But one of the solutions would be like, putting someone with Max that might win some races, at least we're seeing some battles between teammates. Is it something that concerns you at all? Or are you just, hey, I'm winning fucking Constructors Championships? Well, look, my job is to make sure we're winning. That's my job. And and look, 21 was the biggest fight in the history of the sport. It was just heavyweight from the first race to the final in Abu Dhabi where the two drivers ended up same points Unreal to uh, a point five, right? Uh, unbelievable, like and that year aged me physically. <laughs> I bet. Um, so the last couple of years have been kind of pleasant, that they've been slightly less stressful. But you can, what you can guarantee is that the field is going to converge, and it's only a matter of time. And you can already see that that happening. So meaning, like the further away from the new changes we get, people start figuring yeah. it out. More. So what will happen is twenty four, twenty five. You're going to see the field come much closer. Starting to see it a little bit here at the end. You're of this starting season. to see it. Yeah. And the cars, there's things that we see on the McLaren thing. Okay, we recognize that. That looks mm-hmm. a lot like our looks solution. Very familiar. But that's the way Formula One works. And next year, a lot of the cars will look the same. I'm, I'm sure because there'll be that convergence. Yeah. Now it'll spread again in twenty six when the new regs come out but for the next couple of years it's going to going to converge so therefore for us sticking two alphas in the car you take a a verstappen and a hamilton yeah. that is never going to work <laughs> that would ruin because your team. then you yeah you kill your own team yeah, yeah you yeah. need to have a, a a dynamic in the team where the drivers are driving for the team not just themselves right and and otherwise it can become so so divisive. Yeah, if I was you, I would not feel compelled to bring in a Charles or someone. No, that, absolutely so, not. <laughs> you're no, absolutely so no. We want we want strength and depth, and we need to make sure that when those guys come and they're coming, you can see, yeah, that we're ready to take them on, and the, as a team, we're strong and we're solid. What year do you think you'll have to start thinking about the new Max? We're very far off from that, right? I mean, we're. I mean, Max five six years out from that. Two weeks ago, turned twenty six years of age. So, um. You know, he's still he, he's still 
you know, very early in his career. But, you know, we are constantly investing in youth and talent. We've got some kids as young as 13 and racing and karting. And how, how much attention do you pay to that? I pay a, a, a reasonable amount. It's mainly Helmut's uh, domain. He's done such a great job in, in scouting young talent and developing it and, yeah. and, and you know, um, bringing it through that that's, you know, his main baby. Um, but of course, we're keeping an eye on the, the youngsters and, and, and how they're developing and training and, and coming through the ranks. Yeah. Well, this has been such a blast, Christian. I can't wait to bump into you again oh, thank uh, you. At, a, at a race in the near future. You're going to be in Vegas? I will be in Vegas. I am. Um, oh, you're coming to my birthday then. That's I am fantastic. coming to you. I will, I will present the cake to you. That is fantastic. I'm going to, that, I'm going that, to dig up a Dennis the Menace cake. Thank you. That, that event is going to be insane. It will be nuts. Okay. Two seconds on that. And it can go either way. Yeah. I, I'm going, going, I'm either going to witness the biggest shit show ever put yeah. on, the most expensive shit yeah. show ever put on. Yeah. Or I'm going to watch the most epic thing ever. Put yeah, on. exactly. It's either going to be the biggest sporting event on the planet this year or or one for the record books exactly i mean we're embracing it fully with we're, we're all in and uh we got a few surprises will you go out on the track yeah for sure you will i saw max on the simulator there the other day oh they have it built out we've built it in our sim at the, in the factory and seeing him drive around there through las vegas like, it's scary and it's fast is it? it is so fast what do you think they're gonna hit on las vegas boulevard Oh, yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it is properly quick. I think second only to having a race in Manhattan. This is like second yeah. only to that. It's going to be it's going to be so cool, I think. But I think it's going to because it's going to be a bit cold in the evening. Yes. It's a I night race. It's going to be cold. could be really tricky. It and could, that be could be 50. That could be a, a massive curveball for the whole for the whole weekend with the tires, with the teams. It could almost be like rain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so exciting. Cool. Uh, well, Christian, thank you so much. I hope thank I get you. to bump into you on that birthday weekend. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much.